All right, you guys ready for round two? I want to remind you again as we uh, continue our work through the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a lyrical poem. As a lyrical poem, it, its purpose is to tell one story, has one focus. It's not, a, it's not something that's going to be multifaceted. In fact, like we talked about last time, if you think you're, you're understanding what Song of Solomon is saying, you're probably right. It's, uh, it's a, a, a book that often people want to allegorize. They want to come to the Song of Solomon, just like sometimes when they come to Ecclesiastes, and they want to spiritualize, allegorize, so that they don't have to deal with the point of the book. And I don't want us to lose sight of the point of the book. The point of the book is exceedingly simple. A man marries a woman, and they celebrate their love with one another. And that that is not a byproduct of some accident that happened in the Garden of Eden, but it is part of God's purpose. And so it was something that was to be celebrated. Last time, you remember, we talked about the fact that this is the Song of Songs. It's a list of songs, uh, depending on where you draw the lines uh, in the book, where you... Different people will say, uh, we'll divide them in different places because it's not divided for us. Uh, there's no verses right in the text. It's just the, the words of the poem. So uh, they try to pick the obvious points. Some as many as 30 songs. Others say 13 or 14. And they just add, say these are part of the same song. But as we work our way through, Song of Songs, that was given to Solomon. So either Solomon wrote it or it was presented to Solomon. Somehow it has... Uh, it finds its source in him. He does appear in the poem, although once I used to think he was one of the characters. Um, now I think he's referred to, and it's, it's more just a, a poem celebrating uh, an unnamed man and woman. Doesn't, it doesn't matter who they are or, or what their story is. The celebration is what's going on within them. And one of the things, one of the reasons why it's important is a lot of times people say, well, why? Why are we going to go through the Song of Solomon? Well, they wouldn't ever, they didn't want to teach the Song of Solomon to the, to, to, uh, in Jewish schools till somebody was 30 years old. So for the most part, we're all over 30. We should be okay. Um, the other part is that in the Middle Ages, they totally ignored it. And they come up with all kind of weird ideas about what holiness was about. Uh, they came up with ideas that, that said a, a man and a wife should not enjoy sex. That was sin if they did. But that's not what God's word teaches. But because we didn't want to, or they didn't, at that time they didn't want to have to read it. They didn't want to look at it. They didn't want to have to deal with it. So they just say, well, let's just ignore it. And, let's, and how, for how long has that stigma followed the church? Doesn't it still follow the church today? Isn't there still a sense, at least in the world, that that's the church's attitude toward uh, something that God created? The reason we study the Song of Solomon is because, or the Song of Songs to Solomon, is that it was brought together for us to celebrate something that God celebrates. That this is a good thing. It's not supposed to be weird. We make it weird. Does that make sense? It's our hang-ups that, that we come to the text. It's our embarrassments 
when we come to it. But if we would consider what it is that the, that the book is telling us, what it's saying, how it's celebrating it, the proper use and place for these things that we're going to discuss, and we would understand this book celebrates the love between the love and passion between a man and a woman in marriage, which is something that today people have a hard time even comprehending why people have been married more than 30 years. 40 years, 50 years is a, such an oddity in our, in our culture and in our world that uh, it's almost, I know we know of some, but it's almost unheard of in the world that it would last that long, that people would be married that long. How, how, how does that happen? Maybe if we considered the way marriage was supposed to look and God's plan for it and the celebration that is in the Song of Songs, maybe, maybe we would find uh, ourselves walking in the right place instead of a twisted up place where we all have to carry our baggage to, right? Because we didn't apply what God's Word said to life and now we're dealing with the, the ramifications of it. So hopefully... As we work our way through, we'll be able to see that. So, we're going to pick it up in Song of Solomon uh, 2. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 8. We'll read uh, through chapter 3, verse 11. <coughs> this is the voice of the woman. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall. Gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice, my beloved speaks and says to me. Now we have the voice of the man. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Then you have the chorus, the choir. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And the woman again, verse 16, My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but... I found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adore you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love, until it pleases. And then the choir. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke? Perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? 
Behold, it's a litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords, an expert in war. Each has his sword on his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver and its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with a crown, which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come to your word, to study it. Lord, we pray that you, God, would open our eyes, open our understanding, open our ears to receive that which your spirit has to say to us. God, that we would uh, hold fast to the truth. For Jesus, you declared that you are the truth and you came to give us truth and that this truth would set us free. God, I pray that we would experience the freedom that you desire us to have as we come to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the beginning, we're going to look at the three three songs prior to the wedding. The last uh, choir or chorus uh, is the wedding. So we'll look at that as we come together. So we have this invitation an invitation to depart. And it begins, the song begins, and man, I want to back up. I want to remind you, we're, we're looking at um, like a musical. There's no words in this performance. There are the woman who sings, the man who sings, and the choir who sings. That's it. And it would have been performed before Solomon just like this, singing their way through these different parts. And as they come to it, the woman begins... In verse 8, and she begins to to talk about her excitement about the day that's coming when she'll be joined together with her lover. She's excited about being together with him. In fact, she says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. Uh, One of the things I, I always am reminded of when I look at this, I have been riding motorcycles since I could walk. And probably, I don't know, we've been here 10 years, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, I got my first Harley, and uh, my wife would always say she could hear me start it from the church where I was working in California, was about two miles from home, and she could hear I was coming home, and she would always get excited. Oh, he's coming home. There is something about rejoicing over... And being excited about being with each other. Just being with each other. And that's what she's celebrating. She's thinking about the wedding that's coming up. She's thinking about the wedding night. She's thinking about her life together. And she says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. She can hear him on his way. Leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. My beloved, like a a gazelle or a young stag. So this is common in love poetry, especially in the time period, uh, making this relation between a, a gazelle or a young stag. So, so she's excited. The sound of the one that she loves is coming unto her. And as he's coming, it says, uh, Behold, there he stands behind our wall. The woman is speaking. 
This is her wall. She uses a, a um, plural pronoun because what she's talking about is the division. We've talked about it last time between her and her family and a new life married to her husband. So now there's a wall. There are things that they don't participate in that's not a part of their relationship. It's things that they're looking forward to. So there's a wall separating them. Now they want to be together. They want to come together. And they're going to. Chapter 4, which won't happen this week. Next week, we'll get to read about that. But as we, as we see, she's talked about this a couple of times. That her brothers are her keeper. That her mother is, is watching over her. The, the concept is that her family would protect her virginity, and so there's a wall that separates them. But she's looking forward to the day, and she's going to discuss that a little more in depth as we go on. She's looking forward to the time when that wall will be taken down, when she's going to leave the confines of her family, and she's going to enter into a new realm, a new relationship, right, between her husband and herself. This is talked about in the Bible, right? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, when the when the Lord God brought the first woman to the man, what did he say? He, he, he says, now, the two shall become, what? One flesh. The two shall become one flesh. There's going to be a union that takes place. So for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. When we go back to, to Adam and Eve, was there a father and mother? Okay, so that part's for us, right? We have fathers and mothers. So for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. The implication is there's a breaking or a leaving of what had been the relationship and an entering into a new relationship, a, a, re- a relationship that is part of what God has planned. So she's saying he's, he's on the other side of the wall. There's some separation between us, but look what's going on. He's gazing through the windows, through the lattice, and my beloved speaks to me. Now when we look at this, what we see, and what's going to be a part of, of what's going to really designate the role, if you will, of the man in this song, is this wooing of his bride. When we come to the wooing of the bride, there's, there's a few things we're going to see contrasted. He's going to woo her to come to the wilderness, because like he's a wild stag and gazelle, where do they live? In the wilderness, where does she live? At home. The wilderness is a place that's going to symbolize the place where uh, uh, the, the, br- uh, the bridegroom is going to woo the bride. And he's going to woo her with his words. By the way he talks to her. By the way he treats her. It's in the Song of Psalms, even in the book of Hosea. We're going to look at it. In the book of Hosea, God says, I'm going to bring her, the nation of Israel, into the wilderness. And there I will woo her just like song of solomon in fact i think he's referring to that idea within the song so that he can say this is this is god's purpose and plan the idea is that the man is is going to woo look what he says in verse 10 arise my love my beautiful one and come away for behold the winter is past the rain is over and gone the flowers appear on the earth the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. And the fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Now we have two stanzas, if you will, of the man's song. as the man singing. And they both begin with the phrase, Arise, my love. 
So each one is the man wooing. He's not, he's not forcing. He's not entrapping. He's not trying to trick. He's not trying to steal. He's not doing any of those things. He's wooing. And he has one tool with which to woo his bride. And that's his words. The way he talks to her. How he praises her. What he calls her. There's real power in the words that we use. And part of the beauty of the Song of Solomon is this idea that if we would listen to how this relationship happens, if we would do what Deuteronomy tells us to do for our kids and teach them these things when they walk in the way, maybe they would understand. Maybe they begin to comprehend that there's a, a plan and a purpose and a way and a path. What did Proverbs teach us? Proverbs taught us there's two ways you can walk, right? A, a path of life and a path of death, right? One way leads to destruction, one way leads to life. So we follow Lady Wisdom, a picture of Christ. We follow wisdom, we walk the path of life. The Song of Solomon is laying out for us in this song, in this, in this symphony that's being produced, is laying out for us the path of what love's supposed to look like. How love's supposed to work. That a man would use words to win his, his bride. He would use his ability to communicate. And the number one problem when most people come to talk to me about the problems they're having in their marriage is going to be, he don't talk to me. We aren't communicating. We don't understand what's going on. Well, something changed, because once upon a time you did. Right? Once upon a time, we couldn't stop talking on the phone. We couldn't stop... I used to write songs for Kathy. I'm little, stupid limericks. And, and uh, all these things that was, a part of, that was a part of our courtship, if you will. Our love story that still exists in a box somewhere. You guys come over to Pollock at the pastors, you can look for it. But uh, it's all a part of the way God intended that to be. Not the way we see things in the world today. Not robbing and stealing from one another. Not hurting one another. Not doing all of those things in the name of what the world calls love that just does damage. And if we've lived those lives, I have, if we've lived those lives, we can look back on them and say, yeah, that was damaging to me. That was damaging to others. That, was, that caused a lot of baggage for me to carry through my life. Maybe the Song of Solomon has more purpose than we give it credit for. Maybe it's something that can really help establish the importance that God places on this relationship between a husband and wife on the act of physical love and on the uniting together on the two becoming one eight chapters it's all they're focused on it's all that they are about now here in this first song he celebrates the coming of spring pretty much in every single culture around the world spring was synonymous with new life right the little bunnies come out in springtime Right? You guys with me? So this is not, this is not an uncommon, uncommon uh, uh, allegory. 
the idea that he's celebrating that springtime is coming. And so what's he saying? Man, the time of our romance, it's here. Winter is past. We're looking. I can see the date on the calendar. We're coming to that date. And I'm so excited for you to come away with me. To come into the wilderness. To come to the place where I will woo you. In verse 13, he says again, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. The power of words in the voice of a man who loves his wife has the ability to transform her, even as the Song of Solomon speaks of, from a peasant to a queen. Just by using your words. Words can destroy, words can tear down, and words can do what? Build up. Does the Bible not teach us that the power of life and death is in the tongue? The way we talk and what we say, what do we see this man doing? He's saying... He's telling her how lovely she is, how much he desires her. He says, you're like a a dove in the cleft of the rock. You're up on the cliff. You're above me. I can't reach you yet. It's not time yet. We we don't have contact, but, but I want you to know, I love your face. I love your voice. Um, He is using his words to build her up and to encourage her. There is a old story I've told probably before um, about a village, and the big boast in the village was what the bride price of someone's daughter would get. And this one farmer had a kind of a homely daughter, and he thought, "Well, I'll be lucky if I get a couple chickens for her." And one day, this guy comes in, and he pays the highest bride price ever paid. He brings horses and goats and sheep and he gives this extraordinarily extravagant price for this bride. And so the father gives her, he's kind of blown away and super stoked. He, you know, just moved to the top of the, of the bragging post. You know, my daughter got the highest uh, bride price. And so the, this man swoops her away and off they go. She's gone for several years. And several years later, she comes home to visit her her dad. And when she comes home, he cannot believe how beautiful she is. And he says to the man, he says, what what did you do? This is not the, the same girl who went with you. And he said, "I I just treated her and talked to her like I saw her. And that's who she became. There's power in the tongue. When we look at one another, we, I mean, the same thing is true even of our children. If we, if we consider what God's word actually says about how we are to speak with one another. How we should encourage, how we should build up. And this is what we see him doing. It's not, it's not some twisted plan, right? Like in the hundred different movies we watch. This is, this is a man wooing his bride with praises and names of love, how much he cares for her and how beautiful she is, and talking about the passion that they will share and ultimately the pleasure they will have together. 
But they're looking forward to it. They're not stealing it. They're looking forward to fulfilling what God has for them. How God will bless it. And as, this, as the man finishes his part in the song, and they're, they're, there's a lot of discussion about this next part, but I think this works the best. You have the choir begin to sing. And they say, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And, and a lot of people want to talk about what the little foxes are. They're, you know, and, uh, and I've been caught up in that, in that trap as well. And when we look at it, we know this is the choir because it's all plural pronouns. So the woman wouldn't be singing in, in the royal we, and neither would the man. He hasn't done it at all through any other part of the song. So this is the choir, the group of women singing. The other thing we want to realize is it doesn't say kill the foxes. This is not a fox hunt. Right? All of us who hunt know when we come home and our wife says, Did you catch a deer? None of us say yes. He's on a leash in the back. I'm going to walk him over to the tree and hang him upside down and get him. No. We don't catch them. What do we do? We kill them. We kill them. But this isn't what this is talking about. There was a game in the springtime that the kids would all play where they would go out while the, while the vineyards are in blossom. So the, the foxes would come to eat the grapes. So before the foxes would eat the grapes, before the grapes would come while the blossoms are out, the little kids would run around and play in the vineyard chasing the foxes. And so this is a call. This is a call to enjoy one another, to play, to be playful with one another. Let's celebrate. It's all about celebrating the union that's coming. The time that is right around the bend. The time that is about to come. And then the woman says maybe the certainly one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known verse in the Song of Solomon. I am my beloved and he is mine. Yeah, it says, my beloved is mine and I am his. Genesis 2.4, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. Same concept. 1 Corinthians 7.4, Paul says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. What does it mean? I'm yours, you're mine. I don't belong to me anymore. Now I belong to you. You don't belong to you anymore. Now you belong to me. I am yours. You are mine. This perfect verse of unity. This perfect verse of being joined together. She says, I am his, he is mine, and he grazes among the lilies. She's looking forward to her wedding night. She's looking forward to that time that they will spend together. And she says, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. A poetic way of saying, until the sun comes up tomorrow. We're going to lie together until the sun comes up tomorrow. Turn, my beloved, be like the gazelle or the young stag on the cleft mountain. She's looking and celebrating and speaking of the, the night, their wedding night that they're about to have. And they're just coming in. We're going to see the wedding in just a moment. They're just coming in. She's going to have a, a moment of anxiousness. We're going to read about that, her anxiety in a moment. But as they're coming toward it, 
She's celebrating it. And one of the things that this, this section, this part in this woman's song speaks of is two concepts that, that God's Word teaches us about love. Two things it teaches us. One, it's monogamous. And two, it's faithful. And those two concepts are going to be everywhere we see the Scriptures talk about love, where it's talking about God's love for us, whether it's talking about our love for God, whether it's talking about a husband's love for his wife or a wife's love for her husband. Always the same. Monogamous and faithful. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. It's you and me till the wheels fall off, till the sun comes up. She's dreaming of, you know, I, I, I don't know, because the Song of Solomon really is written from the, from the aspect of the woman, which is fascinating for me for uh, literature at the time, because literature at the time was really focused on men, right? It was a patriarchal society built around men, but the Song of Songs is a song sung from the aspect of the woman. If you look at the parts as we work your way through, I've colored them out. Uh, the vast majority is sung by the woman or the choir. The man has very few parts. So as we look at her point of view, she's excited. She's, she's excited about the day, but that there's also anxiety about it, right? What's it going to be like? What's going to happen? What's going to go on? That's the next little song that she sings in chapter 3. As she's coming toward her wedding night, the woman begins to sing a song of her anxiety. Look what it says. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. So she's, she's dreaming. She's thinking about the day that's coming. Uh, not literally dreaming, but like daydreaming, right? You guys get what I mean? She's thinking about it in her mind. And she's, she says, I sought him, but I, I couldn't find him. Why couldn't she find him? Because she's got some anxiousness. We're going to see it in a moment. So she says, I will, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. And I sought him, but I couldn't find him. There's this hidden anxiety that's going on that's going to be expressed when she comes to the watchman. When she runs into the guards. She's going to see these guards twice. Here. 3-3 three, three, and 5-7. In 3-3, they don't say a word. In 5-7, they don't say a word either, but they beat her. And when you, when you put those two together, there's some interesting correlations that we want to pull from it. Because though she's beat by the watchman, no one ever says anything about it. Her husband, there was like, hey, on your wedding night, if your wife came home all beat up by the guards, there'd be a verse in a song about that, right? Where that's the part where you took your sword and went and whacked all those guys' heads off. No, that's how that story goes. But that's nowhere in the story. So there's symbolism taking place. You have no words, no phrases, nothing ever spoken by the guardsmen. So, so I think there's a, a, some symbolism there we'll, we'll touch on in just a minute. But it says in verse 3, The watchman found me. As they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Never say a word. Not even in 5-7. You guys can read ahead. 
Never say a word. <clears throat> Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one whom my soul loves. On this night before her wedding, looking forward with great anticipation to their union and to the life that they're going to have together, she also has some anxiety about losing her virginity. She has some anxiety about what that's going to be like. She has some, some anxiety about it. And that anxiety, her virginity, is symbolized by the guardsmen, the watchmen, the wall who kept her, her family who kept her safe. The protection of her virginity, especially in that culture and at that time, was the most tantamount thing they could do. So she runs into it. The concept is... In this song, she's having anxiety about what this is going to be like. What's going to happen? How's it going to feel? I'm afraid. I've spent all my life up to this point protecting this part of my life. And now on this day, I'm supposed to give it away. And she's wrestling with that. She's wrestling with that idea. And she's coming to the decision at the end of her song that she is going to leave that behind. She's going to... to uh, give up her virginity and go and be with her husband. This is the anxiousness that she has before her. I want to just share a couple of things I pulled out of a, a, a commentary I really respect uh, so that you guys maybe can uh, can get the picture with me. Uh, in light of uh, Song 5-7, it's fairly certain that the guards represent her virginity. It simply makes no sense to have a long song in which the leading lady is physically assaulted. More than that, no one in the song finds it surprising that she has been beaten. The song implies no astonishment or outrage at the event. The guards themselves, strikingly impersonal. They have no appearance, no emotion, no words, no weapons, no fists, no faces, no names. In short, they do not appear to be persons at all. If we are expected to understand that the woman literally met her guards on two occasions and on one, occasions, on one occasion was assaulted, we would expect her to say something more about the perpetrators, if only to make the experience more vivid for the reader and provoke more sympathy for the victim. The account is not coherent unless the suffering she received from the guards itself is symbolic and represents something else. As she yearns for her lover, the brute fact of her virginity suddenly presents itself before her mind. She asks the guards if they have seen her lover. That is, she looks on her virginity as a key to finding her lover. Without virginity, she will not be able to obtain him. Virginity uh, being the, the key component for marriage in ancient Israel. Nevertheless, the guards themselves do not show her the way to her lover. They are silent. Or passive at this point. And she makes the choice. Then I turned and found him. To consciously say. To determine. That she is uh, going to leave. The, the sanctity of her virginity. Uh, she speaks of determination. Decision. Steadfastness. Stepping over the border. She has chosen him. Over the virginity that she protected for so long. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. And I held him, and I would not let him go. 
until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. What she's saying is, she is going to become like her mother. Her mother is not a virgin. Her mother has been celebrating the act of love with her husband throughout her life uh, and throughout this, this young woman's life. And now she's saying, I'm going to hold on to him until I become like my mother is to me, to him. Until I let him into my mother's room. Or another way of saying that, my womb. Where life is conceived. Until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. And then she says again, a warning to the, to the choir. So I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There is a time and a purpose. We just read in Ecclesiastes how Coalette had this struggle, right, with there's a time for everything, but we struggle to know what is the right time for everything. We know there's a time for this and a time for this and a time for this, right? We talked about that song. You guys tracking with me? But Coalette, after he lays all that out, puts all that beauty in that poem, he says, but we don't know what the right time is. God does. And there are some things God tells us the right time for. And this is one of those things. One of the things that God gives us the right time for. And so she says to the choir, to the other women who are singing, don't arouse, don't awaken love until it's time, until it's the time and the purpose for which God gives that time. So she's has her, her moment with her anxiousness leading up to her wedding night. And then the choir takes over the song in verse 6 of chapter 3. And you have the wedding procession. So they begin to sing. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? So where is it coming from? Out of where? The wilderness, right? The place where he will woo her. Hosea 2.14, God says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. It's a picture. It's a picture of using, of, of, uh, a symbol, I should say, of, of using a man using words to win his bride. It says, What is this coming from the wilderness? Calms of smoke, perfume, myrrh, frankincense, all the fragrant powders of the merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. So you have Solomon's going to be named twice here. It's his litter. Let me ask you a question. Who's in it? It's not Solomon. Who's in the litter? Who's being transformed from, from a peasant to a queen? She is in the litter. She is in the litter because when it refers to her, it uses the feminine pronoun. It's not Solomon in, in the litter. It's talking about her. It's Solomon's litter, it's his throne. You know those things? Picture the thing, right? A chair, fancy chair, like a throne that guys are carrying. And on that is the bride and she's being brought to the groom. She's being brought to the king. 
So she's on this, on this chair. She's in the litter of Solomon. Surrounding this litter are 60 mighty men. Some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords, expert in war, each with a sword on his thigh against the terror in the night. So you have this picture. You have the, the, the woman in the litter, and you have the litter itself coming from the wilderness. She's been won. She's been wooed. They're coming. She's surrounded by an honor guard of 60 armed men. So remember when we started the song. When we started the song, she's a, she's a farm girl, well tanned, had to work in the fields, didn't, didn't live the life of a queen. But now, on her wedding day, she is. Right? What is, what, isn't, isn't that the purpose of the wedding in, in most cultures anyway? To see the bride as the queen? Isn't that why all eyes are on her when she, when she walks down the aisle to her, her husband who is awaiting her? Isn't that the purpose? To, to, to honor her, to treat her in that way? This is exactly what the Song of Songs is talking about. She has an honor guard around her, protecting her. And as they come, we, we move to a description. It says in, uh, in verse 9, King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. So you have two mentions of Solomon, right? One, she's in his litter. So she's being carried on Solomon's litter. And two, Solomon built it. Neither of those two verses indicate that Solomon has to be the groom. He may be. I'm not saying he's not. But neither of those verses say he is. But traditionally, that's what we would teach. This is Solomon and one of his thousand wives, right? Only we have a hard time understanding the depth of love expressed in this song. And that concept of who Solomon was. But if it's presented to Solomon, sung to him, and presented in that way, there's no reason why he would miss the idea that his litter is being used to bring the bride down. The peasant girl is becoming the queen. And then describing the litter that Solomon built. Look what it says about it. Solomon himself made the carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seed of purple. What does all this say? Royal, royalty, royalty, royalty. Gold, silver, purple. Its interior was inlaid with a love by the daughters of Jerusalem. It's all honoring and exalting and extolling the bride. All honoring, extolling and exalting uh, the bride. Lifting her on high. Celebrating her. So then the choir sings, Go out, daughters of Zion, and look. Upon King Solomon. Now, we have the third mention. So King Solomon may be the groom standing up front. Maybe him. Or maybe symbolic. Because the groom is the king. If the bride's the queen, who's the groom? He's the king. When was the Song of Songs given? During whose kingdom? Solomon's. So what example would you lose if you use if you were talking about the king? Hey, he's King Solomon. She's the queen. So... Regardless, King Solomon or not King Solomon, King Solomon, come look. Come look at the king standing up front. One of my favorite things to watch in a wedding is the groom when he first sees the bride coming. Is to see his eyes 
I don't care how many times you've looked, there's something special about that walk when she's coming to him. And this is what he's saying, O daughters of Zion, look at King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. Look, he's all ready, he's all dressed up, he's up front. She's coming to him on the litter. She's being brought, 60 mighty men of renown around her on the day of the gladness of his heart. So here we have the wedding ceremony coming forward. And you see the celebration move from... From the longing, oh man, we can't wait till we can be together, but there's a wall that separates us. My brother's watching over me, but that's going to leave. I'm going to leave my home and go into the wilderness with you. And that all takes place in chapter 3. Now they're wed. And nothing has been dicey yet. I don't care how dicey you think it was. I might get one of you guys to read chapter 4. Chapter 4 is is the wedding night, the wedding night celebration. So we see this. The Quigleys? Which ones? Okay. My wife has put in her requests. So... The beauty is right here we see just a song about what it was like when God made Eve and brought her to Adam. And when Adam saw her, he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's the same line. I am my beloved and he is mine. One flesh, she's of me. Um, of her the picture in Genesis is if a man loves his wife he loves himself because she's bone of his bone flesh of his flesh this celebration of them coming forward is exactly what's going on so then the poet is next going to move to the consummation of the marriage next week not to I can only take so much Song of Songs. You guys have to wait till next week. Bring, uh, I don't know what to bring. Just be ready. It'll be crazy. It'll be things you never thought you were going to talk about in church. I can promise you that. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray. Father God, I just, uh, I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful for the beauty of marriage as you intended it to be. I'm thankful, God, for this song of songs, this list of songs, this musical that was presented to Solomon that found its way canonized because it's such a beautiful picture of the unity between a husband and a wife, between the celebration of, of what God has in store. God, I pray, Lord, that we would seriously consider, you know, abandoning our our weird things and just celebrating the fact that this is what God made. This is how God made it. And there's a lot of things maybe I don't know the time for, but this I do. I know how this was intended. I know what this purpose is. 
I know the celebration and the beauty and the majesty and the incredible illusions and pictures that, that come to flood our minds when we consider really the love of Christ for us. God, I just, uh, I just pray, Lord, that we would allow the Word to conform us into its image and not the other way around. And that we would say, Yea, Lord, your will be done. That we would say, Yea, Lord, your kingdom, your plan, your purpose, your design. May we celebrate it, not rebel against it, but celebrate the purpose, God, that you have for the union between a man and a woman. And God, we will give you all the praise due your name. In Jesus' name, amen.